Please rise for their majesties of Royally Obsessed, the podcast for all things royals. Three cheers for His Majesty the King. We are manifesting a wonderful episode today for Royally Obsessed. Welcome back to the pod. I'm your co-host, Roberta. And I'm Rachel. And before we get into everything on the slate for today, I just want to say a few housekeeping reminders before we are off for two weeks, the end of the summer. Email us info at gallerypodcast.com. Also follow the pod on Instagram at Royally Obsessed Podcast. We have a lot to talk about today, Rachel. We're squeezing it all in before our break. Also, so much of this was not on my royal bingo card. No. Was it on yours? Uh, a rave? No, it was not. First, yeah, first and foremost, a royal rave. We're going to talk about where Kate Middleton popped up this week. Also, Megan at Taylor Swift, there's a concert theme. We're discussing a public opinion poll about Prince William, a fall coat conversation that I can't wait to discuss with you. Details on when we'll see Kate and William next. Also, details on when you'll hear us next. Send us love notes while we are away. We'll give you the full scoop on the break. The summer vacation we are taking, not at Balmoral, but in many fun Unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately. Invite lost in the mail. Finally, we are joined by the most amazing guest, Lady Violet Manners. She is the executive producer behind the Duchess podcast, which features other duchesses, countesses, and more talking about their sweeping estates in the UK. It was such a fun conversation. I'm so excited for you guys to hear it. And now it's time for the Weekly Royal Cocktail. All right, but before we get into all of that, we, of course, need to toast with our royal refreshment. We're having tea, which is very I British. I botched this, Roberta, I was going to say. That's I okay. Botched. I have I have iced tea. Is that allowed? Oh, that's, a, that's perfect. That's perfect. I love it. It's an honor it's of allowed. Princess <laughs> Anne. It's her birthday this week. And during ITV's 2021 documentary, Anne, the Princess Royal at 70, which came out a few years ago, her former private secretary, Captain Sir Nicholas Wright, said, I'm very jealous the princess doesn't drink alcohol at all because of her packed event schedule. I don't know how, why he was jealous of that, but she is a teetotaler, supposedly. So wow. cheers with our cuppas to cuppas what, and your iced coffee. My I mean, iced tea. The, ice. the thing with the iced tea for me is that it's actually my beloved Arnold Palmer, but I realized I was spending like six bucks every Arnold Palmer, so I limited it, but I splurged for today. So that's that's such an easy one to make at home. Is it? I need everything because how... What is the tea that you use Any, while we're on the topic of tea? You could say that to me about my chai lattes that I always buy out. So like, no, but but just... tell me, like, do I buy black tea then then steep it, brew it, and then chill it overnight? Like, make sure it's really cold. That's, that's what Dave's parents do. They actually okay. buy black tea leaves and like seep it, yeah, or bags. Could Dave's parents please text me a recipe? I'm I'm <laughs> a sweet tea girl only. That's probably because of growing up in the south. I know, delicious, I know. delicious, sacrilege. Before we get away though, Roberta, we did want to chat quickly about television because I feel like it's a good time to make some recommendations. What are you watching right now? I just finished 1883, which was forced upon me by Dave. I had to watch it. It's the prequel to Yellowstone. It's, it was very depressing, but it was, it was well made. It's, um, there's 1923 too, which stars Helen Mirren. So I think we're going to watch that next, but I'm most excited to tell you that I am almost through season one of Suits. And I'm so <gasps> upset. 
obsessed. I'm so obsessed. Wait, isn't it amazing? I actually had a little, you see my S because I didn't want to spill it in our rundown. I'm re-watching Suits right now. Oh my god! It's like, it's just such a delight. And I was hearing some people at the office last week talking about this, how whenever they open Netflix, it's top. Like it's the number one thing yeah. at the top. Because it is, obviously we know everyone's re-watching it yep. right now or watching it for the first time as you are. But I think that it is just like the algorithm. And so people are just no matter what consuming it. I love that you're into it. It makes me laugh. Like, I just like every time Megan is on screen, I just can't help but just like my eyes are like glued to the screen because of I don't know. It's just so funny to see her acting because that's not my entryway into like her. I know. It's being. really jarring when you know her from something else, else obviously. Yeah. But do you love Mike? Do you love Harvey? Do you love Donna? Like, the you, know cast who ma- is great. you know who makes me laugh the most? And this is so random, but um, Lewis Litt. Is that oh. his name? <laughs> So annoying. got lit up. <laughs> this has just become a suits. The faces love that fest. he makes are like so intense. Like he just has like I don't a very expressive face. But I love Mike. Like oh, love the love. cast is good. The I had to Google whether they actually dated in real life. Megan, and <laughs> I love it. Let's write like an amazing love Allen. fest for Pure yeah. Wow about yeah. suits and rewatching it or watching it. For Wait, the first tell time. me what you're watching right now. Oh, well, I am watching Suits, but also and just like that. I know oh. that I shouldn't say that out loud, but it is so fun. Wait, why? And sec- people love well, it, I thought. No, I feel like people love to hate it, but the second season is just everything the first season wasn't. It's really fun. The fashion is great. And Carrie wearing like the puffer coat, oh, I puffer love dress. That. I'm really enjoying it. <laughs> I think this season is great. Yeah. I know Aiden is a bizarre storyline, but it's fun. Everything about it feels fun. Oh, my gosh. Well, we'll have plenty of time because over the next two weeks, like we said, we are taking a little bit of a break. We're going to miss you guys so much and miss each other so, so much. I am heading off to Portugal, which I've already talked about on the pod. Rachel, you're going to Maine. I know a lot of rowers have reached out, too, and I have not gotten my I don't want to swear on the pod together to organize a meetup. But maybe something impromptu will happen because I know there's a lot of Maine listeners. um, But I cannot wait to get up there and just hit the beach. I can't wait to see your beach pics. And I'm so excited to have the Paste de nada every day, all day. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm like so jealous of going to come back as a giant envious. I pastes should say. De nada. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, let's talk about our listener email. We got this great note from Tiffany. Salutations, Royal Rachel and Royal Roberta. I absolutely love when people call us that. <laughs> A royally obsessed friend of mine suggested this podcast to me. I've spent the last two and a half months listening from episode one, and I'm all caught up. I have so enjoyed all the royal commentary and reliving past royal moments. It has helped me cleaning, mowing, gardening, and my daily three-mile walk goals feel like a great visit with friends. I can't pinpoint the moment I became interested in the royals, any royal family as a matter of fact. I must have just been born with it. (laughs) I love that. Unlike Catherine, I did have photos of Prince William in my life locker in high school. I did too. Oh my gosh. We can talk about that later. On the 24th, I turned 40 years old. I took royal inspiration from Catherine Middleton's 40th birthday portraits for my own 40th photo. This past Saturday, I also enjoyed a ladies' luncheon to celebrate my milestone. All the ladies wore hats and the Princess of Wales attended in cardboard form. (laughs) So funny. I'm looking forward to your newest episodes each week. God save the king, Tiffany. The pictures that she attached are the recreation of those 
portraits that she mentioned from Kew Gardens. Oh my gosh, she did such a good job with them. The the actual like sepia tone is on point. It, these look so good, Tiffany. These are beautiful. Oh, I think it's a really fun thing to do too, because as my photographer friends like says, sometimes in the moment it feels weird, but when you have that documentation. Yeah to look back on and your youth and because 40 is still so youthful as I believe. I just think that it's a really special, special thing. So special. It's going to be in her photo album. Happy birthday, Tiffany, I should add. (laughs) For future generations too, to look back and just see those. It's it's really lovely. All right. Should we do Royal History? One of my favorite segments of the show. And now, this week in Royal History. So we're flashing back 23 years ago today, the day this episode drops, to when St. James's Palace announced that 18-year-old Prince William had passed his A-levels and would be attending, drumroll please, <laughs> University of St. Andrews in Scotland, which was a bit of a wild card. Most people assumed that he would attend the University of Edinburgh. Edinburgh is a big city, and the speculation that he didn't pick it was because it had been just three years since the death of his mother. He wasn't looking for a big city with a lot of people, with a lot of photographers and paparazzi. He was looking for peace and quiet. I have been to both the University of Edinburgh and the University of St. Andrews, and it is so quiet. It was rainy and cold. There's like the golf course, the school, and like almost nothing else. And so there's obviously restaurants and things for the tourists that go, but it's. Very, I feel like it makes sense that he chose to go there. All right, so William had his first ever solo press briefing at the age of 18 in September, so a month later. He's so, so cute in this video clip we're about to play, but he's talking about leaving Eaton behind. He's talking about taking part of his gap year in Chile. But then he says this. The whole of Eaton made a real big difference with everyone not trying to sort of snap a picture every time I was walking around the streets. And I hope it just continues for Harry as well when he's there. So he mentions his brother, Prince Harry. He says, obviously, he's at Eton, and he hopes that the press are not too intrusive for his time there. And to your point, he's a dreamboat. Oh, oh, a dreamboat. I mean, the he's full a head of hair. <laughs> but he's also just, like, kind of chiseled. Like, I feel like this is a love fest for Prince William. <laughs> we're not, we're turning this episode into that. It's but fine. it's, I mean, dreamy, age 18. Full, full, so much ahead of him. I know. And I can't help that clip kind of reminds me of Harry's travails that he talks about in Spare with the media during his time at Eaton, because I think he actually felt a bit neglected by William. And there was the story about him being bald because he got that horrible haircut by a friend and then his broken thumb. The front cover was like Harry's big accident. This is, of course, like not even three years after his mother's death. And so it's like really to rile the public up, like. The splash is just in huge letters, Harry's accident. So it's just, and it was a broken thumb. I mean, it's just, it's really sad to think about how he did have to endure so much. And I think William knew that he would going into Mm -hmm. it. Back to William, though. So his grades on the A-levels, an A in geography, a B in art history, and a C in biology, which... Same, William. Same. (laughs) He did pretty well. He did pretty well. Biology was always my real struggle. It's a struggle. It's a struggle. The palace's statement said that St. Andrews was William's first and personal choice. He was determined to get a place there on his own merits. He would start the four-year degree course in the autumn of 2001 after his gap year. Charles had to email his son to congratulate him because William was already in Belize doing jungle training exercises with the Welsh guards. When did email launch? Was it even really a thing? I think like I didn't really have... 
It must have been like right around it that time. It must cusp. have been around that time. Yeah, you're right. That's so funny to think about. Maybe he sent a letter and they just, the BBC said email. So I don't know. St. Andrews did experience. I'm it. wrong. 1971. So oh. ignore me. <laughs> No, that I feel like when did I, Rachel, get an email account? Was it was around been 2001. In <laughs> yeah, my parents, I think, were around the 2000s. Of course, St. Andrews experienced a 40% rise in applications after this announcement because of Prince William attending. My gosh. And we know who one of those applications was. This could not be a better transition to the next topic. I mean, my goodness, I couldn't have said it better myself. Cue me in. (laughs) So, Kate William News, we did want to talk first and foremost quickly about this most popular public figure poll from Gallup. This was U.S. based, of course. They looked at fifteen public figures total. William was the highest ranking. He had a 59% approval rating. This also made me laugh. 21% had never heard of him. I'm like, where are you living that you have never heard? But, you know, obviously we are (laughs) kind of tunnel vision on this topic. True. This was, you know, it's not sort of, I think the ranking is interesting because it just kind of shows individually. If you look at who came in next, Zelensky, had from Ukraine, had the second highest ranking, then Jill Biden, Aww. not Joe, Jill. Um, and King Charles was number four. What? Yeah. Wait, that's that, the most shocking yeah, part of isn't this. Isn't that amazing? He's the most popular, he's the fourth most popular public figure in the US. Fourth most pop mo- with a, well, it's not most popular. It's more he had the, yeah, it's like the his favorability was 46%. So yeah, fourth wow. most popular of the 15 that were they were asked about. And then Donald Trump and Joe Biden are later oh. on, they both tied oh. at 41% favorability rating. It's kind of not like ranking them. It's more about what people voted in terms of their favorable opinion versus unfavorable opinion. Oh, you know what? I think now seeing this is like people can agree on people that aren't outright Democrat and Republican. Like, that's what's really interesting about this is like people can agree on who they know is not one party or the other. That's fascinating. Exactly. Well, and that's what I think is also fascinating about um, the representation is that with Prince William and also King Charles, it's pretty 50-50 with Dems and Republicans Mm. both viewing them favorably. Hmm. So that's kind of, and that doesn't happen once you skew below. I think it's only, but I love this quote from the research. It says, the signers of the Declaration of Independence would be surprised to know that nearly 250 years after they sought freedom from the, quote, tyranny of the British crown, the highest ranking members of that institution would be more popular in the United States than the nation's own democratically elected and appointed leaders. (laughs) True. Just made me laugh. But we can't vote for George Washington in this poll. So we cannot vote for George Washington in this poll. Obviously, needless would, to say, <laughs> Putin had the least favorability. Five. Makes sense. All right. Also, new military appointments for William and Kate. William was given three more. Also, other members of the family. I'm not trying to slight the other members because many of them, nine in total, were given new titles from King Charles in the past week. But William was given three titles, the most significant of which was Colonel in Chief of. Prince Harry's former unit, the Army Air Corps. We know that he passed the Army Air Pilots course, Harry did, and then learned how to fly the Apache helicopter. I always think, you know, everything to do with Harry's military appointments and those being stripped away when he really did serve significant time is always kind of a touchy topic there. Mm -hmm. Kate was also given three new ones. Commodore in chief of Fleet Air Arm. This was something she picked up from Prince Air Andrew. A lot of the family members picked up titles that Prince Andrew lost when his titles were stripped. 
colonel-in-chief of the First Queen's Dragoon Guards. Colonel Kate, I think it's kind of fun to say out loud. But then the most significant for Kate was that she was given the Royal Honorary Air Commodore of RAF Coningsby. And this is a connection to her grandfather, Peter Middleton, who, come to find out, was a co-pilot on a mission with Prince Philip in 1962. Think about kind of how that all connects is kind of fascinating. A lot more military visits for Kate in the future, it seems. We'll probably see a lot of those in the fall. Yeah. And I think I think the royal family is really trying to remind the world of that connection that the royal family has to all of these military aspects. Okay, one more but super fun tidbit. Kate Middleton, Princess of Raves. We do have photo confirmation of her at the Houghton <laughs> Festival, which takes place every year since 2017 on the thousand-acre estate of David and Rose Chumley who we are very familiar with, friends of Kate and William. This music festival features 200 artists, 13 stages, 12,000 attendees. It's a 24-hour rave. If you check out the DJ that kind of launched it, came up with it, you can see the full kind of calendar of who's performing. Apparently, Kate was at dinner with David and Rose, and the suggestion was made that she go. And there were conversations about how to handle the security of it. It was worked out, and so the Princess of Wales went. It kind of made me think of when the Queen was able to go out into the night for VE Day, Roberta. (laughs) You know? Mm, Yeah. I know, because I thought that they would definitely be at Balmoral during this time. So it's funny to see them Yes, it is. And I feel like it spurs a ton of questions for me. Number one, where was William? Yeah, he would have loved this. Right? We just (laughs) saw him out in June with Guy Pelly. And I think the assessment is that it may have been that he's away grouse shooting because this, mm. there's this occasion, the glorious 12th, and that was that Saturday night when Kate was supposed to have gone. Fascinating. So I guess, you know, she is only a few miles down the street. Kate is at Anmer Hall from mm. David and Rose. So she walked over for dinner. This conversation came up, but William was not there. My biggest question is the rumor of the 700-pound tip. Like, oh, her, yes. her and her party left a tip of 700 pounds on their bill. And I had to look it up because they actually do have the restaurant name yes. listed on the Houghton Festival website. It's called Osteria Wolf is who they brought in. They call it the Turntable Napkin Restaurant, and it hosts, like, different restaurants. And so Osteria Wolf is pretty fancy. And I also looked up how th- someone reported that they were drinking a magnum of rosé, a specific type of rosé called x like x in provence and so i looked up this size of rosé cost six hundred dollars so like oh, it kind of wow. made like it might have been that their tab was was so high was so high that they had to leave a 700 pound and isn't the restaurant fathom. the only opportunity for ravers to get a break from yes. it because this is the only ongoing non-stop zero breaks it looks like the only rave. food option there and we know Kate loves to dance. Like, I love this. When I saw what she wore, it's a total mom's night out. She's like, you know what? I am in a good place with raising kids. Like, I'm just going to go and do this. Like, I've got childcare tonight. Let's hit it. But why with Rose Chumley, who is rumored to have an affair with William? I just don't get it. I know. I think that I am. I think the questions just remain for me about the state of the relationship with Rose. I always think about when we ran smack dab into her at the coronation. That was hilarious. I can't help but think about that too and it just is so 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 crazy to me but I wanted to ask you too is like okay so she goes to this concert with Rose and then did you see the photo with the 
the yes, top of Kate. And the sneakers. Yes. Yeah, so she's talking to David in the photo because you can tell like when we saw him in person, that's yep. definitely the back of him. So I don't know. They were definitely together. It's just crazy. It's so fascinating. And I feel like it just shows, though, the depth of the friendship they now have. I mean, we yeah. know that the Chumleys are really in the fold of the royal family with formal roles that no matter even with the changing of the queen, David is still firmly planted within the monarchy. So very fascinating. I did want to wrap up with the confirmation that we have an official appearance on the books that we will see Kate and William on September 8th, the anniversary of the queen's passing. I'm curious what, there's no details on what the engagement will be, but I'm so curious what it is, Roberta. And I keep thinking about how that we've heard a lot of conversations about a statue being unveiled mm-hmm. at some point. I don't know if it'll be this soon. I would think the king would be the one doing that. But this is a solo engagement. The king will not mm. be with them when we see them on September 8th. Yeah, maybe it's a monument to the queen. That would be incredible. I am interested to see, Does the will the king's like be out and about on the anniversary of his mother's no, death? No, it says that he will be, um, honoring the occasion at Balmoral privately, which I think is really meaningful. Yeah, I like that for him. him. Yeah, for her father. I think that's that's really nice. All right, just a few quick Harry and Meghan updates before we get into our highs and lows. We have seen them a lot lately relative to the rest of the summer. So we saw Harry in Tokyo, obviously, at that polo match. Also, Meghan has been out and about. She was at the Taylor Swift concert, as you mentioned. The fact that we have not seen photos. I need a picture. Like, I just want to know what she she wore. Yeah. (laughs) Supposedly, she got up out of her seat when You Belong With Me came on and was screaming at the top of her lungs. So I love that for her. That's one of the songs that I know the best, too. She had lunch with agent Jill Smoller. It was spotted by someone on Dumois at Lucky's in Santa Barbara. She also had a belated birthday lunch with Cleo Wade and Katie Lee of Highbrow Hippie. She's a famous hair artist in the California area. She has a new setup, an atelier, a wellness atelier is how they call it, in Venice, which I, if we, if I, if we go to California, if I go to California, I'm making an appointment with Katie Lee, although the prices are a little bit hard to stomach, so I'll have to save up. It's $400 for a partial balayage, so I'm going to save up now. Whoa, it's a little bit whoa. more expensive than I pay for, but worth it. Worth it. Looks amazing. You're she worth it. Looks glowing. <laughs> I'm Thank like you. that bad toxic friend with money right now. <laughs> spend, spend, spend. Oh, yeah. yeah. You'd be dangerous to bring to Portugal, that's for sure. I know. Um, well, Portugal is actually fairly affordable. I don't know how inflation has affected it, but when I went, it was it was really kind of surprising how, for food. All it's of really my money is delicious. Food and drinks. Yeah. The only thing I really want to discuss with you is Megan getting papped in Montecito because this has been a hot topic of discussion. One yes. of those things is that she was wearing the new Calm bio signal sensor, which is really interesting. It's actually called a processing disc. I want to get that right. On her inner left wrist, the CEO talked to Hello Magazine and said that the disc slows down the stress response by presenting the brain and body with GABA, the body's natural amino acid that slows down adrenaline. It also relaxes, reduces stress, lowers inflammation, improves immunity and resilience. Now I want one. I'm like, yeah, it? but it's such a kind of a strange thing to wear. Her sleeve was rolled up on the cuff. We don't know where she was coming out of, but a couple of people online said maybe like a doctor dentist office because that is also where I get the most stress and like yeah. sweat buckets before appointments. So maybe and if it's like eighty dollars it? for twenty, maybe it is kind of it's not something you wear ongoing. I need to learn more about it, but it's yeah. like you put it on in moments that cause your adrenaline to rise. It also does feel like something that would be on 
a website like the TIG where she could kind of talk about how it's worked for her and promote it. So is this her foray into wellness, into sponsorships? Who knows? But the main thing we need to discuss is the coat. Because if you click this image, I mean, we've all seen it. But the accessories are out of control, too. There's so many accessories, and I want all of them. The Hermes scarf, the Goyard bag. She looks incredible. The belt, Givenchy, Chanel flats. But the coat, it's August. I am sweating talking to you right now. Like what? Me too. I mean, that was my initial reaction was that I had in-laws visiting from California this weekend. I asked them about if that coat is appropriate at this time of year in Montecito. They were on Torn, both sides. Right? My mother-in-law yeah. said no. My sister-in-law said yes. Um, and then I looked at the forecast. I think it was a I think it was a low of 64, 65 that day. And we agree, like it can get chilly, but it did throw me. Maybe it's because I'm still like sweating my everything off in New York City right now. I think it was a weekend of one of the hottest weekends here. So it's hard to visualize. I did a deep dive into the comments just to see what other people were saying. And they said the marine layer makes things very cold, especially in Montecito. For anyone who hasn't been in Montecito, at that time of day, if the marine layer, which I had to look up what that is, I just still am not sure. When that is around, it's just, it's incredibly It makes chilly. sense. It's, yeah. It makes sense. And also, why are we worried about it? I liked this comment <laughs> not from worried someone. about it. <laughs> no, no, no. But I feel like it's, it's, it's funny because people do pick apart things about her. And someone said, yes. I live in LA and it's been the chilliest the last few days. Only she lives in her body and she knows what makes sense to her. Whether it's comfy and warm, why are we judgy? This chick can't live. Let us remember she's dressing <laughs> for herself and not the royal life. And then that makes me feel good. Then this person ends with true. jumps off soapbox, which I love. So oh, it's, yeah. it's true. It's so she can wear true. She wants in 64 is cold to me. That's actually pretty cold. I would wear a coat. And if it's I think raining, it, yeah, I think it more just like fall hit me across the face when I saw it. That It wasn't really about her as much as I'm like, oh my gosh, it's September in a couple of weeks. And the scarf too. I was like, that's just, it was so many accessories, I think. But I, I think she looks fabulous. Well styled. Yeah, yes. well styled. So I want to buy it all. All right. Now we have a lovely chat with Lady Violet Manners. Here's that conversation. Roros, we're thrilled to be joined today by Lady Violet Manners. She's the eldest child and one of three daughters of the Duke and Duchess of Rutland and runs her own consultancy and strategy firm, LVM Creative. She's also producer of Duchess, the podcast, where for the past four seasons, her mother has interviewed other duchesses countesses about their estates and what it takes to run them. This week, the podcast kicks off its fifth season, this time led by the Countess of Derby. Lady Violet, welcome to the show. We're so thrilled you're here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really happy to be here. Thank you. As I mentioned before you came on, we were fascinated by the profile of your mom in the New York Times and about how she started Duchess. Can you tell our listeners about the podcast and how it came to be? Yes. So I was studying in actually in LA in UC, at UCLA um, in 2019 before the pandemic and spent a lot of time in my car as, as you do in LA uh, as an Angelino. And I got into sort of listening to podcasts myself and did a year out there. I was studying business and finance. Before I moved out to LA for the year, I had a consultancy in London, marketing consultancy. 
and it kind of podcasting was like a new medium it was sort of untapped at least it wasn't really on my radar as a big thing in a, in the way that it is now and and I came back to you know London with a healthy dose of sort of America infused into me and I think I remember just sort of sitting with my mom and saying listen mom this is a new medium it's amazing because you know you can own the edit end to end you can really tell stories you can be you know very personable it's not on camera and you can give a really rounded view of kind of you know heavy or, or seemingly heavy and dense sort of topics which heritage can sometimes be categorized as and you know mum is the first to admit she's not very technical savvy she doesn't listen to she hardly watches the news let alone kind of gets into podcasting herself but she just had complete faith in me and kind of I think the vision for what I wanted to create with her and obviously I know my mum and I know that she's incredible with people she's amazing on camera she's a true conversationist so I just kind of I, I think on the literally on the flight on the way back from LA after an amazing year there I just remember sitting on the flight which is a long one and thinking this has got I think I think this is what I want to do and I know that my mum will be the most incredible host for this so it was a it was a really like happy kind of very serendipitous thing and you know and having a mum as as awesome as mine like you know for her to sort of put her faith in me and the long-term vision of it and and you know and sort of jump aboard was just wonderful and she's just been the most incredible host for the series to date so no, it was a real journey it's been such a joy creating it it really has and I've learned so much um about you know the incredible heritage and history that exists across this tiny little island that is you know the United Kingdom it's just incredible that's amazing. Well, we, you know, I love that the pod explores the people and caretakers behind the stately homes and castles across the UK, like Beaver Castle, where you and your siblings grew up. We were curious, what was it like to grow up there? I mean, it's kind of, it's fascinating. And, you know, it's obviously, it's such a, it's a question I, we're always asked, all of us. It's such a unique and extraordinary place to land, right? Like to, you know, obviously none of us decide you know where we land in this world and who our parents are and and you know what our circumstances are so up until the age of 12 we grew up in a village just down the hill from here and so I remember you know as a child we used to look up at the castle and obviously go and visit my grandparents who were living here before us and it felt very magical like visiting it felt incredibly magical quite daunting as a young child but but magical and you know visiting the castle we'd always sort of put on our Cinderella dresses and like mum made it a real thing (laughs) And then moving into the castle when we were 12 was like another ball game because, you know, I think the reality hits. And actually, I was sort of 10 or 11 when we moved in and my siblings are all younger than me. And and I think the reality, you know, within the first six months sort of hit home. I remember my mum, vividly remember my mum saying to us sort of, you know, when we were 12, the castle was in, you know, immaculate condition, but lots of it, you know, lots of it still is is very much in need of repair and work. And it's an ongoing, never ending kind of project. And I remember my mom saying, right, kids, go and get your wellies on. We're going onto the roof. There's a dead pigeon blocking the drain. Wow. Oh, no. So we had to run up and there was flooding happening through the castle into the library, which is where all the precious books are. And we had to run up onto the roof in our dressing gowns at sort of 8 p.m. at night. And we had obviously had the smallest hands as children. So we had to sort of dive our hands into the gutter and pull out these dead pigeons and I remember thinking this is not quite what I signed up for you know so I'm telling us to be a, yeah. <laughs> you had those Cinderella dresses on and you were running yeah. over before yeah. you were 12 yeah <laughs> you know I think what shows like Downton Abbey and Bridgerton do so beautifully is they take us back to you know the times that really the eras when these places were built and when these places had 
hundreds upon hundreds of staff running it and it's a very very obviously different generation to today and you know today it's a it's a business and it but it's an and it's an ongoing struggle a lot of the time for a lot of these places and I think what was so brilliant about the podcast and I think what my mum got so much from you know in and in, in hosting the show was just that you know the, sh- the the struggles are shared and it's a very niche struggle to have and everyone's acutely aware of that and I think the humility that exists amongst the women that you know feature on the show is really um obvious I think when you listen to them but you know the, there's always a distinction I think there's enormously kind of glamorous parts of you know our lives here and uh, but there's a hell of a lot of hard work that goes with it to maintain it and you know ultimately they're, they're custodians as my mum would always say for a very short period of time but they you know they're, they're custodians of the United Kingdom's history it's not just you know the Beavers really whilst it's owned by our family you know it's it's very much a part of the United Kingdom's history and so you know they're doing in my view, they're doing all of them and doing a service for, you know, the wider kind of um, history of the country, which I think is really important to maintain mm-hmm. and, and look after. Absolutely. But no, it was fun. We had a lot of fun growing up here as well. You know, we've there are lots of stories and um, and it was a huge privilege to grow up somewhere like this. So it, that's not lost on me either. But I think sometimes I feel like I need to just balance the scales a little bit because shows like Bridgerton make it look all kind of, <laughs> which it is at times, but there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes to sort of keep places like this on the road. Well, I love that you're calling us from the castle because the backdrop is so beautiful behind you. We can see the curtains and the window panes and everything. So that's... Yeah. We can just only imagine yes. what it's like. <laughs> I'm in my mom's. I'm actually, I've stolen my mom's office desk. So I'm sitting oh, at her nice. desk right now. Oh, <laughs> that's nice. Well, you mentioned Bridgerton, the crown, Downton Abbey. Americans' obsession with British heritage doesn't seem to be waning anytime soon. Do you see that play out in real life with tourism for Beaver Castle and other stately homes? Have you seen that? Big time. I mean, it's now being termed as the Bridgerton effect, again, in the sort of small you know, niche world that is heritage tourism. But it's it's fascinating. It's had a direct impact on the number of people that are coming to visit heritage across the UK, inbound and domestic. I think it's done a really huge and amazing thing for domestic tourism to these places. You know, I think a lot of the time, you know, British residents have had these beautiful places sitting on their doorstep forever, and they've just never thought to go and explore them. And I think what Bridgeton's done is really brought to life you know, the stories that exist within the walls of these places. It's not just the architecture. It's not just the paintings on the wall. It's not just the kind of beautiful pieces of silver or art, whatever it might be. It's actually just the stories that are kind of woven into the, in some cases, in many cases, the bricks and mortar, like it's, it's extraordinary. And, and yeah, there's been a direct like upswing in visitor numbers. Castle Howard, which is in North Yorkshire, which is sort of about an hour and a half north of here, that, you know, that actually saw a, a sort of 25 to 35 percent increase in Gen Z visiting wow. the castle at wow. the end of last year, which is obviously when Bridgerton's most recent series mm-hmm. season, I think yeah. I'm right in saying, came out at the end of last year. Mm-hmm. So, it, yeah, there's huge correlations. And and I, it's, a, you know, it's only a good thing, in my view, because I think there's something about being in, you know, big places, be it stately homes the National Trust Properties, which is another kind of collection of beautiful houses in this country, or even just beautiful cathedrals over here. I think there's something about being in spaces that are this on this kind of scale that make you think bigger, you know, and make you feel like connected to the past and, and obviously here in the present in a way that very few other places, I think, or experiences do. Mm-hmm. And I think in a world that's so transient and with so much going on and so much of our lives online like this, 
I think it's very good for all of us to sort of, you know, ground ourselves in, in old places where possible. Yeah, so it's, it's wonderful to see so many people visiting Heritage. Well, and not just tourism, but also film sets, because The Crown, I believe, was filmed at partly at Beaver Castle. Can you talk to us about what it was yeah. like to have Peter Morgan come to your home? <laughs> yeah, it was very cool. I actually was here when they first, because um, I think Beaver featured in season one, two and three, and maybe a little bit of four. And it, it's the direct replica in The Crown to uh, Windsor. So it sort of doubles wow. as Windsor. And the reason being that the architect that built and designed the castle that I'm in today is the same architect that built and designed Windsor. So so that's why, you know, it was a very it was clever of the directors of the crown to sort of source that and, and find that kind of out. And but it was very cool. I mean, it's amazing. And I think, you know, it's extraordinary, really. But these places are a lot of the time run on, you know, tight budgets, much like everyone else's businesses. And so, you know, your marketing only ever stretches so far. But so featuring in something like the crown, which has got a, a huge international, you know, sort of capture and demand it's massive for someone like Beaver. It's massive for, you know, Castle Howard to feature in Bridgeton. And and I think what's really interesting as well is that obviously the actors, when they're here, and we've met a few of them, and I think when they're here, um, like I, I've met, I met Claire Foy when she was here, and I just remember her saying to me, nothing gets her into character more than when she, she can read the script in a caravan, she can read it at home, but nothing gets her into character more when she's actually in these beautiful buildings like that's when the character really comes alive I think she said a version of that to me so I just yeah I think it's a really it's a really great thing that that period drama is having again such demand and there's so much interest I mean there's another series that's just come out over here called Emily I don't know if that's come out in the states but that's like Bridgerton um it's a BBC series but it's just fascinating period drama seems to be what Netflix Amazon Disney BBC over here they're just putting so much money into creating period dramas and that is entirely surely based on demand so I think it's a really wonderful thing that people are wanting to escape into another time in the way that they are at the moment yeah and I was looking at the website too and I noticed that Victorian Abdul filmed there which was a movie I saw in the theaters I think in 2016 or 2017 I was very excited I loved that one I love that one too I love that one too I love that it's connected back into my life through you. <laughs> now, going back to the podcast for a minute, your mother has interviewed countesses, ladies, and chatelains across the UK, including Karen, Countess Spencer of Althorpe, and AJ Langer, former Baywatch star and Countess of Devon. What are some of the most interesting stories that you've witnessed, heard, listened to from Duchess the Podcast? I mean, I think there's so many. I think what's I think the continuity between them all is what fascinates me. And I think like, you know, each house has got such fascinating and integral history that's attached to their houses that they are you know custodians of in their time and and that's sort of like almost too much to kind of say really there's just so much but I think what's I think what's interesting to me is that I find it fascinating I think the reason why I was really keen to get women to the microphone as opposed to men you guys will be aware and I'm sure your listeners are that in this country and actually not in Europe but in the UK it's always been the case that estates like this one you know lady spencer's everyone's is handed down through the male line so you know it's called primogenitor and it means that you know the kind of continuity of the house is always passed down through the male line and there's many reasons for that but one of them is that it means the estates aren't broken up if if they were to hand it down i'm the eldest daughter so technically if 
if primogenitor was to be removed, I would inherit Beaver and become the Duchess, but it would mean that the estate would be broken up. So I think what's interesting to me is that the women that marry into these places, be it Lady Spencer, AJ Devon, Cancer Devon, um, and, you know, any of the 45 women that we've had on the series, I think what fascinates me is it's not for the faint-hearted marrying into these places. My mum is no exception. And I think the creativity that exists throughout the centuries of the women that marry into these places is extraordinary. And they have been the backbone, if not the creative lifeblood and life force of these estates throughout the entire kind of history of them. But it's just that their stories are very often not told because obviously, you know, if we go back a hundred years, it was always the men's stories that were very well documented and very well told. It was very rare that, you know, women's diaries would be published or women's stories would be shared. And so that's why I was really keen that we got the women, the, the, the women that have married into these great estates to the microphone and for them to share the stories about women throughout their own family's line that have done remarkable things at their houses. You know, I'm sitting in a castle that this is the fourth castle on, on the same site and it was commissioned by Elizabeth and uh, she was Elizabeth Fifth Duchess of Rutland here. And, you know, it's extraordinary. She was, she was totally and utterly extraordinary. We're managing a budget and 400 people building this place in the sort of late 1700s into the early 1800s. That was entirely unique for, for that time, for someone to be managing a budget, managing that many people, designing the castle herself with James Wyatt. And we can see in the archives, you can see all of the documentation, you can see how hands-on she was. And yet, you know, it's always been her husband that's been sort of, you know, um, and there's nothing, I'm really not in favor massively of the kind of you know i don't i i'm a massive feminist but at the same time i think men you know i, I love I, I think you know men are extraordinary and amazing but i do think it was important in my view to bring women to the microphone for this podcast and hear about the remarkable women yes. throughout the centuries because there's just been so many of them so that in answer a long answer to your question but that is is meeting these women as as my mum and just seeing the incredible creativity that exists and the way that they're trying to modernize and commercialize their estates and their properties, but whilst also retaining, you know, the preservation of them at the same time. That's a very difficult thing to juggle, but they all do it brilliantly and beautifully. Well, it does seem like the organization, at least of that upkeep, that effort to keep these places going and preserving them, it seems like it falls on the women a lot of the time, especially Karen Sensor talked a lot about how they're restoring the walled garden yes. and how she's uh, restoring a lot of the furniture and the china there. So it's fascinating. Is there, I mean, you just mentioned the commercial upkeep of this. Is there a one solution fits all approach? I mean, there's filming at Beaver Castle. What else, how do you maintain the castle? So the other things that not just Beaver, but lots of these places do, is they're open to the public. So, you know, they're open for well over sort of four to five months a year. And it means that people from all over the world, you know, and obviously domestic tourism in the UK, it means that they can come and visit um, these places and experience them for themselves. And they always have amazing events happening at them. So that's one huge, huge thing that exists. Actually, later this year, I'm I'm launching a business that I'm aggregating all of the private heritage houses that you've seen featured on the podcast and dare I say 300 more. I'm launching a website with all of them under one website so people can go and find them with much greater ease and book them with much greater ease on this on this business that I'm launching later actually in September. That's incredible. But no, it's a visitors, filming, you know, weddings is a big part of a lot of these places um, and, and the, the way that they kind of commercialize them today. And then there's lots of other things like private stays, you know, lots of people love booking 
places like Beaver and others for part, you know, very special occasions. And it's not to say that they can be booked, you know, every day of the year, but you know, on, on for these special occasions for people that get in touch directly, that can be done. And there's lots of things that happen on the grounds. But I would say the main bulk of things is really, you know, being open to the public and then weddings and, and events that can happen at at at, um, at these places as well. That's a huge sort of income uh, for most of them. That's wonderful. And uh, we recently heard Prince, uh, sorry, King Charles yeah. III, <laughs> King Charles III plans to, yeah, plans to open up more of the Crown's estates for public viewing, similar to what it sounds like you guys are doing. So what do you think about that? I think it makes total sense. And I think it's, um, I think it gives you, I think by virtue of going to these places and seeing them, it gives you such a newfound appreciation. And I can say that as someone I'm obviously aware I've grown up in one of them, but I really am so taken aback every time I walk into one of these extraordinary places. I really am. Like Beaver's beautiful and extraordinary and special. But I have to say, just the amount that I've seen in the last three years in making this podcast, I've gone to every recording with mum. It's just beautiful and staggering. And it's amazing to see the care and the love and the devotion that goes into them from the tour guide that you meet at the gate who welcomes you in right the way through to the, you know, the, the guy that's sort of painting whilst you're walking around. You know, it's like the love that they have for these places is just extraordinary. And, and I think it's really important that the king, you know, if he's able to open a few of them to the public, I think it will just give all of us such, I mean, I'll be the first to go and visit all of them, but I think it gives all of us such a much greater appreciation of, of, of you know, the, of, of really what it means to be a custodian and, and really what it means to be a custodian of pieces of heritage, um, for which obviously, you know, he is of the royal palaces. Yeah, I think it's a very, very exciting thing that he's doing and exploring doing that more. Well, Lady Violet, we are royally obsessed here. So we wanted to ask you one last question. We are, of course, fascinated by the relationship of the aristocracy and the royal family. Have you had the privilege of having any run-ins with the real life royal family? I have, actually. I actually met the now queen at the end of last year at a relative, I mean, it was for a charity that she's been patron of for nearly a decade now. We And there was a beautiful concert that was put on for about 70 people. All of the 70 that were invited are all kind of involved with the charity. And we, we listened to the most extraordinary orchestra and strings performance by this charity in St. James's Palace. And I was very lucky enough to be invited to that. And I did speak with her. And as you would expect, just so, I mean, I was told, you know, I think she's a remarkable, remarkable woman. It was such a, yeah, it was such a blessing to be able to meet and speak with her. So that was wonderful. And I, you know, and then I actually haven't, I met Prince Harry a very, very, very long time ago when I was much younger. But I haven't, I haven't met the Prince and Princess of Wales uh, personally, but I'm in awe of them both. Um, and and I think that they'll be incredible, you know, when it's their time, they'll be remarkable, a king and queen for our, for our country. So no, I'm, I'm in awe of all of the work that they all do, frankly. I think it's incredible. I know. We're very excited as the new year, uh, September kind of hits when everyone comes back from their summer vacations to really see Char- King Charles in his stride yeah, and what's yeah, ahead. I know. So we are we're looking forward to we covering it. Really excited. Enjoy following them very much. So I know <laughs> yes. you do you do such a great job. So it's so wonderful to see there's oh, so thank much you. love and affection for them over across the pond, you know, in the States. Yeah, it's really cool. It's amazing what you guys do, charting charting their, you know, what they're up to. So I think it's it's great. Well, same to you. And so the new season of Duchess the Podcast launches tomorrow and Lady Violet, where can our listeners keep up with you? 
you can follow us on Duchess the Podcast, which is on Instagram, Facebook. And as you said, the, the podcast that's going live tomorrow is hosted by the Countess of Derby. She was the first guest on our on my mum's series. She is the, the history of Nosley and the Stanley family is arguably then one of the most preeminent, you know, aristocratic families in this country and throughout the centuries. So it's a, it's going to be a really, really, really exciting six part series. And uh, it can be found on wherever you listen to your podcast, Spotify, Apple, etc. So um, please do tune in. And we love we also love getting Cancer Derby is also going to be asking our listeners to you know write letters to her about or emails about your family lineage and what you know about us and you know because I think it's such a wonderful thing to connect with you know each individually to connect with our past so yeah we, we, we look forward to hopefully having some of our listeners join us over on Dutch the podcast that'd be great we can't wait to hear the new season thank you so much for joining us Lady Violet it was such a wonderful treat to talk to you today thank you for having me that's great Roberta, I could not stop laughing the whole time because while we were talking to her, she's at this gorgeous, gorgeous castle and I've got like a jackhammer going in the background and sirens and it's the a absolute truck going by in my feet. It's like oh. absolute opposite to her like just sweeping vistas and beautiful views and I know. calm. Philly and New York just can't cooperate ever, but I need a new calm all the time in New York. Yeah. <laughs> It's time for the Royal Highs and Lows. Okay, before we adjourn the Royal Pod, our highs and lows. It's going to be a little while before we do this again. I'm a little... I know, I'm feeling a little... Is that a tear in my eye? It kind of is. Yeah. We'll just have to text each other our highs and lows. I I want to discuss the parameters of that. Am I allowed to text? We can text all the time. We're not following that rule. Okay. What do you mean are you allowed? (laughs) Well, no, because I I always want to respect vacation boundaries. I think oh, it's important. We don't have vacation boundaries. We don't I, have them. Okay. I don't on the record. So on the record. Good. Text me I'll, all I'll the time. I will text you at midnight sometimes. Please. That's Please. my schedule. I welcome it. All right. My low is just this report from the Evening Standard that James Middleton might have some business troubles. The headline no. is a collapsed business and debts in the millions keeping up with the Middletons. It's like, oof, because after party pieces and some of the reporting around bankruptcy and their debts, James... Middleton changed his name last week, and this totally flew under my radar, but he changed it from Ella & Co. to James & Ella, the company name. I saw that, yeah. But the assets this year have shrunk for the company from, reportedly have shrunk for the company from $330,000 to $90,000. So I'm just hoping everything works out. This is his fifth venture. He had that marshmallow business. I don't know if you remember remember that. that. I actually, uh, what is it? I patronized that. (laughs) You you gave some money to Boomf? Well, I I bought it, but not knowing it was connected to him. I just thought it was fun. I, I think oh. actually, I, I think I bought it as a gift for Matt. Like this was in our early dating or That's something funny. when Instagram was kind of new too. All right. What's your low? My low is just the early reviews of the little people, big dreams take on Diana. I have not seen the full galley and I want to be clear. It comes out September 7th and it's a series that I love for kids. You know, I have the David Attenborough edition and it doesn't shy away from the bumps that people experience in their lives. But I think for me, when I've seen the snippets and you can click some of those links, Roberta, now or in your spare time, just I'm sure you've seen it. But to boil the hardships of Diana's life into short sentences that are kid appropriate, it does feel like a wallop for me. Like it's just uh. kind of like, you know, tackles bulimia, her parents divorce the affair with Camilla, the loss of her HRH title. It's its just, I mean, obviously you're giving the example to kids of what a light she was, but it still feels a little bit like it's tough to read. 
I'm too close to it, obviously. Like I I, reading it to Finn would be hard. I'm too emotional. The about illustrations it, are really good. They're beautiful. It's, like, it's really hard to teach kids about. But I think it is good. Like the reviews are talking about how visualization on that is a good thing. It's just kind of not good. You don't want to go into too much specifics, but I think it's just kind of seeing that just in quick sentences is hard. Almost elementary eyes. I mean, it like, is. Yeah. Making it so elementary feels a little bit like you're sweeping away some of the hard, rough edges of that, you know? Mm-hmm. It's tough. All right. My high this week is that you can Airbnb the king's favorite Welsh home. I'm going to butcher wow. this pronunciation. Shluna Mermud. Nice. You did it. <laughs> I don't think so. Which the king bought in 2007. It was originally owned by a relative of Anne Boleyn's. Of course, we know the reporting around that. The lease expired this summer and the king did not renew. There was reporting that Prince William would be like taking away the property because he's now the Duchy of Cornwall owner. I don't think that's the case. It sounds like they're actually going to put it available for rent. You can already rent three of the cottages on the estate, which is 192 acres on the Welsh countryside in the south of Wales. They The cottages go for around 550 to 1,200 pounds a week. Rachel, I think we could save up. I think we could do this. Of course, the Royal Residence isn't available right now, but it sounds like it will be very soon. You could stay where it's Camilla's sister decorated the interiors, which is a very cool little fun fact, too. Yeah. So I know Will and Kate, people thought they might live in it now that they're Prince and Princess of Wales when they go to visit Wales. But they actually it's reported they prefer hotel stays to stimulate the local economy, which is very nice and makes sense. I think my high, although this is kind of feeling a little bit of like a low, is just kind of see you in September. It's a low because I will miss you, but I am super pumped. The reason it's a high is I'm pumped for September and all that's ahead. It's been, you know, the Royals have been away. We're going to see William in New York City in September. We're going to see the King in France finally. We've got Harry's birthday, the Invictus Games. Probably back to school picks. You know we are excited for fall fashion from the Royals. There's just a lot to look forward to. We're going to miss you guys, but like we said, Send us love notes, DMs, emails, all of it. Reviews. We'll (laughs) hit the ground running in September, the first week. We can't wait. Please, please, please leave us a review. As I mentioned, this one is titled Great Hostesses. I enjoy these two hostesses very much. I've been royally obsessed for many years. I spent my hospital stay with my first baby reading a biography of Queen Victoria. Well-produced and fun. I enjoy the cocktail and fashion tips and truly enjoy the honor guests. I look forward to it every week. Thank you so much, Dr. Grable, maybe Dr. Grable. Thank you so, so much. Reminder to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Follow us on Instagram and send us an email, info at gallerypodcast.com. And do we say till September? Till September. Till September. God save the pod. Her Majesties of Royally Obsessed have retired for this episode. God save the pod. And if you fancy the podcast, give Royally Obsessed the royal rating of five stars on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at Royally Obsessed Podcast and join our Facebook group, Royally Obsessed. Royally Obsessed is a gallery podcast production.